Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Welcome to this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. This episode, my guest is widely considered one of the world's top experts on sports leadership. He's the founder and president of Janssen Sports Leadership Center. His pioneering work in launching and conducting college athletics first leadership academies with student athletes and coaches began over a decade ago. His groundbreaking work is what originally started the whole field of sports leadership development continues to be one of the gold standards today. Him and his team have worked with just to name a few universities, the University of Michigan, Illinois, LSU, Pitt, NC State, Colorado, Yale, Georgetown, South Carolina, Stanford, Wake Forest, Baylor, Houston, and many, many more. He's a prolific author of many books. He is passionate about his purpose of helping coaches and athletic administrators develop the world's next generation of leaders on and off the playing fields. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Jansen. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the podcast. You're one of the experts in the field when it comes to sports leadership and team culture. And uh, how did that work of sports leadership and team culture really become uh, the work of your life? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try to give you the short version, but it's hard to do since I've been doing it for a while now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was just one of those people who always loved sports, played, you know, the variety of them, depending upon what season it was, and uh, didn't have the talent to play at the college level, but went to Marquette University. And I majored in psychology and minored in coaching. And while I was there, I ended up going to the men's basketball coach and the women's basketball coach and volunteering for them and got involved in their programs in a variety of different ways and just um, saw how important the, the kind of mental side, the culture side was. So I ended up going to the University of Arizona to get my degree in sports psychology. And it was a two-year program there. And there was no program at all, really, for the athletes and coaches at Arizona. So while we were there, we basically put together this program. And I had been uh, working basketball camps for Coach Lute Olson, who recently passed away, yeah. um, and uh, just started getting some opportunities with them. And back then, Arizona wasn't doing so well in the first round of the tournament. Most people thought they would get to a Final Four or win a national championship, and they would lose to teams like East Tennessee State or Santa Clara, Miami of Ohio. So I got yeah. the opportunity to work with their men's basketball program. And fortunately, that year they made it to the Final Four. So that, along with working with the softball program and Mike Andre and their coach, uh, both of those guys went to the athletic director and got me hired to work with all the teams at Arizona. So I did that for eight years. Um, and you get to see teams winning national championships in got to see the women's soccer program start from scratch. So you get to see all these different levels sure. of teams. And, uh, you know, as I said, worked full time for them and then got the opportunity basically to start my own business because at that time there weren't many people doing this kind of stuff in college athletic departments or in high schools or anything like that. So we moved over to North Carolina and uh, started working with NC State in North Carolina, and they were kind of the first ones to start doing leadership academies for their athletes and coaches, and then went over to Stanford and Pitt and Illinois and Michigan, and from there just got to learn from a lot of amazing coaches, a lot of great athletes, and hopefully see how important these intangibles of leadership and culture 
can be for a team's success and a team's reputation. So that's trying to give you the short version of uh, <laughs> how it's all transpired over the last uh, 25 years or so. Yeah, I have a, a friend I met out here. Her name's Addie Bracy. She was a, do you remember her at all? Yep, I do. I think I do. she is one of, uh, from our discussions, she was one of the first Jansen leadership Tar Heels with distinction. Yeah. Um, but uh, a great uh, mountain runner. I run into her a couple of times out here, but uh, uh, still talks about the stuff that, you know, that she picked up from, from those days um, at UNC. Um, That's great. Why you mentioned kind of, you know, the, the space not being people not being in it, the attention maybe not being given to it as many years ago, but why do we need to train leadership uh, with our student athletes? I think it's a variety of reasons. Number one, they just have such an impact on the team's success. They're the tone setters of the program. Um, a lot happens, obviously, in the off-season. A lot happens away from the two- and three-hour practices, in the weight room, on the weekends, social life kind of stuff. So they just have such a huge impact on whether or not a team's going to reach its potential or isn't. So number one, performance wise. And then number two, I think they have a big impact, obviously, on the team's reputation um, at the school, on campus, in terms of how they conduct themselves, how they treat other people. Um, and oftentimes your athletics teams are really the front porch, as many people call them, of a school or of a university. So they're the big representatives and what they're doing in their social life and what they're, how they're treating people, as I said, has a big impact and influence on the overall uh, culture of what everybody's doing. So I think that's important. And I think what I've seen is that a lot of kids really aren't trained to lead. I mean, when I was growing up, everybody kind of did their own stuff in the backyard and they didn't have the adult organized sports like they do today with the adults having all the travel teams and mm -hmm. making out the rosters and getting everybody uniforms and bat bags and everything else. I mean, we did all that ourselves. So if there was a close play at second base, the kids would be out there arguing, well, you got the last call or it's my ball and it's my bat. Right, and if right. you aren't going to give me the right call, then we're going to stop this game. So we did a lot of that leadership conflict management stuff back on our own. Yeah. And now pros and cons of parents and adults being involved, the parents and adults do most of that stuff. So a lot of today's youth, while they have amazing opportunities and amazing coaching, a lot of times all those leadership opportunities and challenges and situations, they're kind of robbed of and parents take care of all that for them. So now they get into high school and now they get into college and they're not really sure how to deal with a teammate who isn't doing what he or she should be doing. So that's kind of uh, why I have a job is that there's a lot of young people who struggle, especially when it comes time to confronting a teammate who isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Most of them just feel so uncomfortable or so ill-equipped to do it. They just don't say anything. Sure. Uh, expand on that for a minute. Can you maybe talk about I think that is one of the most challenging things, holding teammates accountable. Can you maybe talk about the difference between uh, a friend and a teammate? Yeah, I mean, it is. Well, we do tons of surveys of all of the student athletes that we get to work with. And we ask them, hey, what is the most challenging thing for you to do as a leader? And hands down, it is confronting a teammate. Because as you said, a lot of times they are a best friend. A lot of times they could be a roommate at the college level. 
and they just don't want that uncomfortable feeling there. So it's just easier not to say anything. And meanwhile, the team's culture continues to kind of plummet and everybody else is looking, well, our, co our captain didn't call that person out. So I guess that's okay to do in our program. We can keep doing that. So it is a huge challenge. And when we do our leadership academies, one of our whole modules is simply about how do you constructively confront a teammate who isn't doing what they should be doing, whether, as I said, in their social life, whether they're not touching lines and conditioning, whether they're skipping reps in the weight room or just not having a great attitude at practice. It's a big challenge for today's generation to have those critical conversations with their teammates. And as I said, most either don't do it or if they try to do it, it doesn't go well. It ends up creating a big division of the team. It's like, well, that's why I didn't do it. I didn't want to have right. this happen. And here now we've got an even bigger drama going on in our team. Right. With that worry, um, you, you mentioned kind of some of those backyard times. I remember those, but uh, e even within those, I think I had some misconceptions of, of what leadership was as I became a varsity and college athlete. What do you see as maybe the greatest or observed kind of misconception in student athletes when it comes to leadership and what can they do alternatively to that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is, okay, I'm a leader, I got to be vocal, I got to give rah-rah speeches, I got to be talking all the time. And I think they don't understand that leadership really starts with leading yourself first. That's mm -hmm. where we start all of our programming is being a leader by example. Because if you can lead yourself by example, what you do is you give yourself the platform to have the respect and trust of your teammates and coaches. They see you as one of the hardest workers. They see you maintaining your poise and composure when things aren't going wrong or when things aren't going well. They see you having the confidence to step up and the courage to take on challenges. And they see you making good decisions in your social life. So I think what a lot of people think is, okay, well, I'm a leader, I gotta start saying stuff. It's no, you have to make sure first that you're consistently leading yourself doing the right things. And then that gives you the permission basically, or the credibility to speak up. And you kind of asked about, okay, how do we do that? And what I do is I kind of talk about with athletes is, okay, there's going to be some different stages that you're going to progress through. One is you're just a regular person on the roster. Okay. So sure. great. Sure. Now I have to move from not just a regular person on the roster, but an actual leader by example that my teammates, wow, look at how hard that person's working right now, or look at the great job. They got a poor call, but they didn't let that get to them. They got on to the next play and they just kept rolling with it. So you move from just somebody on the roster to then being a great leader by example. So once you can start getting that leader by example, as I said, it gives you that platform now to begin opening up your mouth. And for a lot of people being a vocal leader, is okay well i'm not sure how do i do that and what i tell people is yeah. go to be we talk about being a vocal leader as being an encourager and an enforcer and for most people being an encourager is a pretty easy thing to do you see great yeah. effort from one of your teammates call that out hey great job in that drill we, we loved what you're doing so becoming that moving from leader by example the vocal leader start by being an encourager that's usually an easy one to do then once you start doing that and people start responding well to it, then hopefully you can add the next crucial layer, layer is what I call being an enforcer. So now you're not seeing good effort from teammate. 
Now you're seeing a teammate really get frustrated and they're pouting at the end of the bench because they're really upset about a coach, something said by a coach or they got demoted or something else. Now you have to go and have those enforcer kind of things and say, hey, you know what? You're better than that. You're one of the people that people look to and that kind of reaction isn't going to help you, isn't going to help this team. We got to have you back in and focused on what we need you to do. So it's giving them these different levels and progressions that allow them to hopefully maximize and expand their leadership impact based on what they're comfortable doing. And that's what I often challenge leaders on is where are you? Are you just somebody on the roster right now wanting to be a leader? Start by being a leader by example. Are you a leader by example already, but now your coach wants you to speak up and be more vocal? Start by calling out the people in a good way. Are you doing that already? Okay, well, now your next progression as a leader is also holding people accountable and letting them know we need more from you. So you can kind of see different kids on your roster are going to be at different stages, and that's kind of their next evolution as a leader usually. Well, I like in the example that you just verbalized there too, it was, I talk, we talk about it with, uh, elevate educate rejuvenate a lot is about this sharing belief and even in through in that enforcing statement that you gave an example it was you're better than this um and i think you know when you show them what they're capable of versus you didn't do it right um that closing that gap is is enforcing in the right way so i love that you the example you used was this empowerment of belief that they can reach the standard that we're after um when it comes to team culture and the word culture, it's been what I call it like it was a buzzword and now it's been like kind of buzz sawed. It's got taken on different definitions. I think maybe lost connotations when it comes to team culture. Uh, how do you define it? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of definitions. There's the simple definition of, you know, how things are done in your program. It's as simple as that, but obviously it's a whole lot more complex and layered Um, You know, sometimes I'll refer to it as your program's operating system. What is the system that you use, much like a computer? What is your operating system? But I think what it largely comes down to is what the people on your team deem as acceptable or unacceptable to do in your program. And it's not only what they deem it, but basically what they tolerate, what they call out. So what behaviors are acceptable in our program? Is it acceptable to show up 30 seconds late for practice? Is it acceptable to not touch the lines? Is it acceptable to go out on weekends and act like a fool? What are the different standards of acceptability that you have within your program? And that really determines what your culture is. What, what is okay to do? What's gonna get you some praise? What's gonna get you playing time? What's gonna get you called out? And what is not okay to do? What is stuff that people are going to look at you like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't do that? Or what are things that are going to get you yelled at? Or what are things that actually could get you suspended from this team or maybe even kicked out of it altogether? So all those things of what is okay, acceptable, and what isn't okay, unacceptable, that's really what the culture comes down to is what is basically um, encouraged, what is tolerated and what is not tolerated in your program. That's really what the culture is. Sure. I like it. When you think about the not tolerated, the, the things that erode culture the fastest, what are, what are the one or two that jump out? 
Yeah, I think there certainly selfishness is one that is a big deal. If, if you're only looking out for yourself, if you're not willing to be a team player, that's going to be a huge problem for you. Um, I think another one are double standards from coaches. Right. If you're treating certain people, your starters, your favorite athletes, your whatever, you're giving them certain privileges, but you're coming down hard on other people, that's a really quick way to erode your culture as well. So those are the things that obviously can cause a lot of problems for teams and, and people start looking at it. It's like, okay, well, why should I listen to what you say? Because what you say isn't what you do, isn't what, what's rewarded or isn't what's penalized. So kind of on the alternative of that, I think you know, you've been around a lot of great teams and great cultures and they, they are not overnight um, in, in installations, but um, what are the one or two things that help build cultures at a, at a better pace? Yeah, I think, you know, what we really do is we try to look at six things in terms of a culture. Number one is the leadership of that culture. What is the level of respect? What is the level of credibility? What is the level that they're modeling that culture consistently day in and day out? Uh, great cultures have what I call a clear and compelling vision. There's a certain reason for why they're putting in all the blood, sweat, and tears. And it's very clear. This is what we're trying to do. And it's compelling. It, it gets you up in the morning. It gets you working hard in the off season. It gets you touching that line when you're dead exhausted, but you know that you need to do it to, yeah. to get there. Uh, the core values, which I know we'll probably talk about a little bit more, but just what are those bedrock principles that whether you're winning or losing, those things you're going to stay true to the standards of behavior that I was talking about before, what mm -hmm. is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. I think you have to have a team that is definitely committed and unified. And then the thing that I talk about as well are what I call aligned systems. There have to be certain systems that support those vision values and standards. Systems like, okay, who do we select for our team? Who do we empower as our leaders for our team? When somebody's acting above and beyond our standards, how do we call them out and give them some love? And when sure. somebody's falling below our standards, how do we also let them know, uh-uh, that can't happen in this program? So all these, what I end up looking at, there's like 17 different um, systems that end up running behind the scenes in a program that a lot of times those things are like misaligned. It's like, well, yeah, we say we want to have this hardworking championship team, yet you're letting right. our best player not show up at practices or have this really bad attitude that doesn't fit with what you said and told us was important. So all this misalignment sends a really strange message to everybody else. And as I said before, if, if people are thinking, well, you said this, but you're rewarding this, or you're tolerating that and you said you wouldn't, then what really is our culture? What you said isn't yeah. actually what is being applied. And I think that teenagers can spot that so fast. They can. And, and I, I mean, I think it's, I've got a, a almost a five-year-old. So it's like, they're just like, are you, d does no mean no? <laughs> right, exactly. And then they start just like they play parents against each other. The, the athletes will play coaches against each other and they know, okay, if we've got this situation, let's go to this coach because they'll probably let us give, give us that opportunity versus the other one is going to tell us no. Right, right. Um, did mention the the core values it's something i think is you know important to our teams and uh also really important as individuals whether you're you know a student athlete currently or your life beyond i think they're so important can you talk a little bit about the importance of identifying and they might evolve but 
how important it is for student athletes to identify and, and try to stick to those? Yeah, I, I think you've got to ultimately know what you stand for. What are the things that just are bedrock to who you are? Because, you know, as you know, in athletics and school and in life, you're going to be tested. And what you say sitting down in a regular environment, this is important to me. Now, when you're in a competitive environment or now when there's a lot on the line, it's like, is that really important to you right now? Certainly, you know, the world of COVID going on right now that all, all athletic departments are saying, well, we really value the health and safety of our student athletes. Well, you're going to see how many measures are put into place in terms of protecting people and keeping them safe or the money, especially at the college level and the power yep. five level. Yep, yep. How much money is on the line and how much are we going to potentially risk your health and safety based on what your values are. And I think ultimately, you know, values, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and you have to say, that's what I stand for, no matter what's happening. And you got to understand what your legacy is going to be. And your legacy is going to be tied to those values. And if you feel proud at the end of your career or telling your mom or dad or your kids, eventually, whatever it may be, this is what I stood for. I was quote on the right side of history then hopefully you're going to feel good about your values. But if you look at those and you're like, well, I really felt this way, but I felt pressured because of this situation, then you caved in and you didn't stay true to your values. Right. It's the old, uh, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Right. Exactly. I think it's what my grandfather used to tell me. Exactly. Um, uh, you mentioned alignment earlier. Um, I think that, that, kind of stems from our core values, you know, that, that compass. Um, when you talk about aligning goals with teams I mean, in individual aspirations versus what teams are after, is there an exercise or something that you do to help student athletes understand the importance of alignment? Yeah. What I talk about a lot with coaches and student athletes are, are basically performance boards or what I call key performance indicators in almost every sport out there there tend to be roughly five different battles within a sport that if your team wins those five battles, you're probably going to win the war. So I, I know basketball well, so I'll use that. Sure, as an sure. example. Certainly in, in the world of basketball, if you can shoot a high percentage, that's going to be a really important part at the same time, keeping your opponents from shooting a high percentage. If you can outshoot percentage wise them, you're probably going to win the game. If you can out-rebound them, rebounding is always so critical. So yeah. that's going to be one of those usually key performance indicators that's so critical. Taking care of the basketball, your assist to turnover ratio is usually going to be a really big deal. And a lot of times getting to the free throw line, I know Duke men's basketball always charts, they want to make more free throws than what their opponents even attempt. And they feel like if they can do that well. So for a lot of teams, depending upon, you know, your style of play, your offense, your defense, sure, you sure. Know, sport, individual sport, all that. But there's usually about five key battles that if you can win those key battles, odds are, you know, you win three or four of those or all five of those, odds are you're going to look up at that scoreboard and say, okay, we won. And yeah. if you only win two of those battles or one of those battles or none of those battles, odds are you're going to look up at that scoreboard and you're going to know why you lost as well too. So 
I think what's important for teams in terms of looking at that are what are our five or whether it's six or four or seven, you know, five isn't a magic number, but that's usually something that I think people can really focus in on and do if we can win those. And we talk about those in our um, scouting report. We talk about those in our pregame. We look at those if there's a halftime or a break. We talk about those at the end of the game, how well. And I think if you've got a performance board in your locker room and you can look at each and every opponent and how many times did we win those five key battles and what was the end result and how many times didn't. And then individuals, as you talked about with that question, individuals within that certainly if i'm going to be somebody who's probably a post player hey i've got to help us win that rebounding battle i've got to be in there and make sure that i get hopefully at least seven eight nine ten boards for us to do that so each individual then can look at okay these are the five main things that i've got to do for our team which of those am i really well positioned to contribute to and take some pride in hey, I helped us get that rebounding one, or I helped get to the line. I drew a lot of fouls on that other guy, and we ended up making more free throws than that other team even attempted. So I think those are very concrete, specific things that are measurable, and athletes can understand, yeah, we lost that game because we only made one of our five key performance indicators. And we we beat that really good team because we beat them on four out of the five key areas. So I think that helps athletes and coaches understand what are the key things we need to do and how can I be a key contributor in that. For sure. I mean, I just, yeah, as a football player, I'm just like turnovers, third downs, <laughs> you know, special teams yardage. It was all those, those things we talk about. Um, sure. You spend a lot of great uh, time around programs and coaches. Is there a lesson from one of those great coaches that really sticks out to you that's been kind of stuck with you? Yeah, I think the thing that I look at when I look at the really, really successful coaches, and especially long-term, a guy like Anson Dortz, who's been doing yeah. this, the women's soccer coach at North Carolina, he's had you know over three decades of success, 22 national championships. Uh, Mike Andrea, the softball coach at Arizona, who's you know had Olympic medals and uh, eight national championships. I think they do two things well. I think, number one, they really find a way to relate to each of their athletes. They understand what makes them tick. They're personable people and they care about their athletes as individuals. They understand them not just as an athlete, but they understand what makes them tick as a person, as a student. They ask about their families, their faith, their future goals. They really just genuinely want to help people grow, not just as athletes, but as people. And they're often mentors for them, not just for the two, three, four years that they're in their program. I mean, these people are often lifelong mentors that people are going to when they're having kids or when they're having marital troubles or when they want to start a business. And they're still going to these people for their counsel and advice. So that ability to relate to people the best coaches have. And then the other part of that, which is going back to just that certain standard, they have the ability to require things of them. They have certain standards and those standards are usually very, very high. They, if they want to win a championship, they know they have to have championship standards. So they require things of people and they're demanding, but in a good way. And they know that we have to be fit. 
if we're going to be successful. They know we have to be strong. They know we have to practice so much, not until we get it right, but until, as Gino Oriemo often says, until we can't get it wrong. That's the level that we need to practice to, that it's such an ingrained habit that doing anything wrong is just kind of the, the, um, the response that's not going to happen. So they require a ton of their people, not only in their sport, but obviously in the classroom, in what they're doing in their social life. They just have really high standards for people and they're not going to let people sell themselves short. So when you look at the best leaders, they can relate and they can require. And there's actually a really good book on that called The Two R Manager, uh, written by Peter Freeds is the guy's name. And that's what he talks about as he looks at all the great business leaders. He also sees that they have that ability to relate and require. And that's what makes them successful and special. Yeah. Um, last question. If you had to think rapid fire, uh, three qualities that make a student athlete a great leader. What are they? Yeah. And I'm going to expand that a little bit just because it, it fair fits enough. What we talk about here that, you know, when we evaluate people, we've got 24 questions that we look at. So boiling it down to three would be tough, but to try to do that, basically what we say is, as I said earlier, you've got to be a leader by example. And for us being a leader by example means you have to have great commitment. You need to be one of the hardest workers on your team. You need to have great composure when the stuff hits the fan. You've got to be able to maintain your poise. You've got to have confidence and an optimistic outlook. And you have to have character. You've got to make good decisions in what you're doing. And that allows you, as I said, to give you that platform as a leader by example. Once you have that platform, now you can open up your mouth. And it goes back to what I talked about before, being an encourager. When you see great commitment, confidence, composure, and character from your teammates, great job, you call that out. And when you don't see great commitment, confidence, character, and composure from your teammates, you also be an enforcer and say, you know what? We need more from you right now. As you said before, you're better than that. We've got to have you at this level if we're going to win that championship that we've all been busting our butts for. So those are the things that we try to teach to athletes and we give them the opportunity to get evaluated on by their teammates and coaches, which uh, is very an eye opening experience for a lot of them because sometimes what they think they're doing may not always be what their teammates and coaches are seeing. Mm -hmm.